Genesis chapter 1, please, and Revelation chapter 22. We're going to go from beginning to end. Genesis chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 22, please. We're going to look at both passages. You'll please turn to Genesis chapter 1 and Revelation chapter 22. It's good to see new people here and people returning, and as well as our regular members. It's always good to see people in church. It's good to be away from the world, right? And spend a day just serving God. All right, the Lord laid upon my heart to go through all the dispensations throughout our Bible. And I believe that we can learn throughout all dispensations. We can learn some valuable lessons throughout all dispensations. Let us start with Genesis chapter 1, please, and we will read verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The start of our dispensation begins when God creates everything in our world. And then we look at Revelation chapter 22 and look at the final verse. Verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so it fits down with amen with the grace of our God being upon us. Notice that the beginning of your Bible, it starts out appropriately in the beginning. And then the ending of your Bible ends appropriately with amen. Let us go from beginning to the end. And see what mankind can learn their lesson from throughout the seven dispensations of God. As we go through temptation and sin, trials, battle, and warfare, many times what goes through in our minds, if we're going to be honest in the flesh, is that, you know, if I had a better church environment, then I can serve God better. If I had somebody keeping an eye on me in every action that I take, then I can serve God better. If uh, God was more understanding of my situation with the things I go through, then I can serve him better. If I lived in a perfect world without sin, if there was no sin to begin with, then I would have served God without a problem. We're going to go from beginning to end, and let's see if any of our natural Human excuses would be justified. And let us see if we had everything in place that we would genuinely and truly serve God like we should. Let's all bow in a word of prayer. Father God, I need to be filled within the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'll please wash away my sins with your blood. There are people here who need to hear from you today. Father God, I am so helpless to preach. I am so weak, and I am not the one preaching. God, it's very strange is that no matter how long I have preached or how many times I have preached from this pulpit, I always come with fear. If I'm at a meeting with uh, 1,000 people or a meeting with just 10, I always come in fear, Lord. So I need you, Father. Will you please help me to preach? Unworthy I may be, and weak I am. Heavenly Father, that leaves you with more glory to gain from this. And you deserve all of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Let us cover the first age concerning about the Edenic dispensation. During that time, during the dispensation of Eden, the Lord God Almighty, he, the Bible says when he created all the world and the universe, the Bible says that God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was good. It was very good. That's what the Bible says. Adam and Eve lived in perfect states without sin for God. Now, as you are a Christian trying to serve God, we are in a, the worst age of apostasy, so to speak, Laodicea. In Laodicea, everything is available for you, for you to receive and your flesh to gain. So because we live in a comfortable day and age where we want immediate gratification, that's the reason why we have a hard time serving God. Isn't it hard to discipline yourself to wake up in the morning, to read your Bible, and to pray, and to drag yourself into church? And to try to get to church at an early time to help out the brethren, to help out the pastor. Isn't it hard to drag yourself to stay disciplined and on track with all your duties in church? Isn't it hard to discipline yourself to stay away from the old people that you used to hang around with? Isn't it hard to discipline yourself to stay away from the sinful things that you used to love and to be addicted to? Isn't it hard to... Live for Jesus Christ. It is very, very difficult because we live in the day of Laodicea where sin is available, the world is easily available, and Satan practically does not have to do any temptation on you because all, everything's around you. So we live in that worst day and age, and sometimes we always tell ourselves, if only, if only that this was away from me. Sometimes we tell ourselves that if we were in the day and age of Philadelphia, which was the days of the Great Awakening revivals from the 17 to the 19 uh, to the late 1800s, if we were there that time, that we can more easily serve God. That uh, coming to this church wouldn't be as difficult. Some of you who have attended revival meetings, uh, summer camps, and our blowouts—if only this could go on every day then we can rejuvenate ourselves to keep serving God and do great things. What a disadvantage that we have in liberal San Francisco Bay Area. It's so hard to serve Jesus Christ. And we have every excuse in the world to justify ourselves how hard it is to serve God. But let me tell you something is that Adam and Eve, they walked and talked with God every day. Let me tell you something is that Adam and Eve had no sin within the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they didn't know what it's like to be tempted with evil. Adam and Eve, they lived in a day and age where they didn't even have any wrong thoughts that would just pop out in their head because they didn't even experience what is wrong out there. So they were completely in innocence and all they knew was holiness and righteousness. Adam and Eve, they lived in a day and age where everything was perfect. Where there was no sin around, where there was no temptation around, where they were in a place where it was just beautiful and perfect and all they see was what was good, the Bible says. Adam and Eve, they lived at a time, at a day and age where their bodies never knew what it was like to crave into and fall into the same old sinful habits. 
if we're going to be totally honest, there was only one thing that gave them the temptation. It was just one. And that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Aside from that, everything was like pure holiness. In our lives, we're like, you know, if I only had one temptation, one sin, and one burden, then I can serve God as much. But I've got like so many burdens, so many trials, so many temptations on me that is everywhere that I go. And it's so difficult to serve God. But can I tell you something that Adam and Eve, that if you were there in their shoes, notice that God proved to mankind that man has failed God despite of the age of innocence. Despite of just one temptation sitting in the Garden of Eden. Despite of God being with them to walk and to talk with them every day where they experience revival with God every day that mankind has fallen. So what's the point right here? The point is, is that even if you had everything perfect around you, you'd still mess up and sin. Then we come over here to Genesis chapter 6. Turn to Genesis chapter 6. As we move from the Edenic dispensation, we move from age of innocence. Now let's go to the age of conscience. The age of conscience. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. We now come to the Adamic and we also come to the Noahic dispensations right over here. As we look at Genesis chapter 6, notice that the Bible says at verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be an hundred and twenty years. Look at verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every, look at this, imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And re it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and aggrieved him at his heart. How many times have you heard people saying, you know, I don't know why God would send me to hell because I'm a sincere person. So you're telling me that all my life, you know, I went to college, I paid my way, and then I did so many religious deeds, I was faithful to my church, and you're telling me that I'm going to hell and you, you're better than me? I'm a sincere person. If I'm a sincere person, how can it, how honestly can God cast me into hell? That does not make sense to me. A lot of people, they've been lied to so many times that they have a hard time trusting people now. So a lot of people, they get discouraged, they get weary, and they're like, you know, I'm a sincere person, yet why would I fall into deception? Why would I follow this Christianity? How do I know that I really trust you guys? I mean, I'm a sincere person. Are you telling me that you're more sincere than me when I've done better things than you? As a Bible-believing safe Christian, you might say this. You might say that, you know, God, I know that sin is sin. It's wrong. I know that failure is failure. I forgot something. I failed in a duty. I fell behind on something. I wasn't as good as I should have been in my Bible reading. I wasn't as helpful as I should have been to the pastor and to the church. I wasn't that great. But God, you know my heart. And you know my sincerity. So sometimes we Bible believers might say it this way. We might say, because I'm a sincere person, God, it's not fair. 
that you put this much expectation on me to read the Bible and pray. It's not fair, Lord, that I have to drive so many uh, miles to get over here to this church and to serve you faithfully. How can you expect me to come here every Sunday, come here every service? How can you expect me to come out and do soul winning, God, when I'm a sincere prayer? I mean, you know my heart. I know that I haven't been witnessing as much as I should have, passing out tracts as much as I should have. But God, you know my heart and I'm sincere, so it's not fair. I mean, you know my heart, so I'm sure you can let it go, right? God, I know that I have to be judged for my sins. Some of you might be judged for your sins, reaping what you've sown. But some of you might be whining to the Lord in tears. God, I don't understand why this judgment has to fall on me. I know sin is sin. Sin has a price. But God, remember how many good things I've done for you? And this really hurts, God. I mean, you're supposed to understand my feelings, right, Father? So, I mean, the sincerity of my heart, why would you allow something like this heavy to fall upon me? Right? If we're going to be honest to the core of our flesh, there are those moments that we feel like that. We suffer a tragedy in the home. We suffer tragedy with our loved ones. We suffer a tragedy inside the church. We suffer a tragedy in our workplace. We suffer tragedy in our fellowship, in our friendships. And then when those time comes, when the tears come out of your eyes and anger and bitterness stirs up in your heart, you go, God, I don't understand why this is not fair. And you're sincere about it. But guess what? Can I tell you something? The Bible says that at verse 5, and God saw that not the sincerity, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Notice it says that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was what? Good? Was only evil continually. Can I tell you something? Throughout all dispensations throughout all the ages, the Lord has used conscience as an underlying factor. And God, he knows the sincerity of your heart. You know what he sees? He sees you being sincere, only the good points that you're looking at, and then the bad points that you totally ignore, totally you miss. Totally you want to say, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal to God. Every issue, every action and thought is a big deal to him. And he judges all. It's not like, okay, I agree with what you're going through with uh, this part of the situation. You're very sincere. I can see that in your heart. So I sympathize with you. I'll let it slide. No, you got to realize that you're trying to make God look at the areas that you want him to be understanding on. And then there are certain other areas that you want him to overlook on. And that is... The wickedness of the flesh is to tell God, hey, ignore these sins right here. Let's just focus on these good things that I've done for you. So it's not fair, Father, that you treated me this way. Lord, I don't have many friends. That's not fair. Lord, uh, I don't have a good parent, uh, good upbringing. That's not fair. Lord, I don't have a bigger church. That's not fair. Lord, I don't have more money. That's not fair. Lord, I <coughs> must the righteous suffer when I'm soul winning and then people turn against me? Lord, must the righteous suffer when I'm reading my Bible and praying faithfully that money runs out? Lord, must the righteous suffer when I attend church all the time and then my health is failing and I'm, I'm afflicted with cancer? Lord, must the righteous suffer? You're not so righteous when you think about it. If you look deep down inside the quote-unquote sincerity of your heart, 
you'll see more of the evil inside and the wickedness in the age of conscience. God will let you do according to your conscience, but then he'll prove to you at the end that it's Noah's flood at the end. That's the judgment at the end. That you sinned against God. That you are guilty. That's what you've got to understand. It's not fair. Sure, it's not fair. Because you didn't look deep inside your heart enough. You didn't investigate your sincerity as much. It's so amazing you put God on trial. On what he's thinking in God's own conscious mind. But you're not putting yourself on trial. On what you're thinking in your own conscience. Put your trial on conscience. Uh, put, put your conscience on trial and see how sincere you really are. Not that sincere. Then there are times in our Christian walk that we might say, well, you know, if I'm going to serve God better, then I just need some people around me to support me. If only pastor could watch me every day, that way I can spiritually grow, I can read my Bible, I can stay away from sin. If only the brethren around me can be 24-7 around me with my addiction problem, then I wouldn't fall into my addiction. Oh man, this revival meeting, this summer camp, this blowout is so great. Why can't it go on forever? That way I can be around the brethren, can keep an eye on me, I can stay away from sin. Some parents think, you know, if I send my child to Christian college, all these rules that are set up and so many people watching and supporting him will keep my child on track in a Christian walk and keep serving God. Some of you people are probably wondering, man, it's so hard to be a Bible-believing Christian. There are no Bible believers around me. And I'm all by myself in this area. And it's so hard to keep serving God. It's so hard to keep up the fire. God, I know that uh, I have to serve you faithfully. I have to be strong. And I got to realize that there are times of loneliness that I must endure and go through. But Father God, can't you understand? It's not really fair. If you just put a couple people around me, just send me one other person, I can serve you more faithfully. Some of you are single and some of you might say, Lord, it's so lonely to serve you. If you only gave me a certain loving partner in my life, then I can serve you better. I can stay away from sin. I can avoid fleshy things. And if I had this uh, lover next to me, this partner next to me, it would motivate me to serve you more. God, I mean, it's pretty unfair and it's very difficult. You got to understand my situation as a single person being all alone temptation around me and trying to grip my teeth and then keep serving you people are making fun of me for being a virgin that i don't know what it's like to experience fornication and stuff like that god you got to set up something some people are looking down on me lord because i'm getting up in years and then my family's pressuring me to get married my friends are pressuring me to get married but i want to marry the right person that you want me to do but it's so hard to do that father lord really i can't use this dating app Lord, I, I, I really need to do this. It's called a Christian dating app, Lord. I mean, God, you got to understand my situation. There's nobody around here, so i got no choice but to use the dating app now. This is very difficult for me, God. Lord, if you... I'm a Bible-believing pastor, and God, it's so hard to keep serving you without other Bible-believing pastors around me. So, God, I'm sure you'll understand and let it slide if I fellowship with pastors who are not Bible-believers. 
I need that kind of fellowship, that kind of support. That way I can keep serving you. Maybe I know that I should not invite this person to speak at my church, Heavenly Father. This person's not a Bible believer. And maybe he might say something wrong. But God, then I'll be all alone and my members are just going to keep hearing me. God, you got to understand that as a Bible-believing pastor, I need other Bible-believing pastors around me. I'm sure you'll understand why I have to play politics, God, and then invite people who are not Bible-believers to speak on my pulpit. And Lord, and so this goes on in all of our minds of all kinds of situations. Husband and wife being all alone and then their children being all alone. And they're like saying, God, my children don't have friends around them. God, uh, my wife doesn't have Bible-believing women around her. And me, it's so hard for me too. There's no group for couples around our age. There's no group for children around our age. So God, I'm sure you'll understand why I have to go to this church that is not a Bible-believing church. It's for my children so that they can have more fellowship. It's so my wife can have more fellowship. It's so that me, as a husband, can have more fellowship. Lord, if you just send people around me, then it would be so much easier. But look at the book of Genesis, chapter 11. Genesis, chapter 11. Now we come to... The age of human government. Human government. Let's cover the Noahic time as well. The Noahic times of the dispensation. What if you had people around you to support you that you needed? Look at verse 1. And the whole earth. Imagine that you had all the earth to support you. Was of one language and of one speech. Imagine they all had the same kind of communication like you did. Man, I can serve God better. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us go to church and set up an altar and worship God and then praise the Lord, uh, praise the Lord and sing hymns and run around the aisle and give a shout, and weep on the altar, repent of our sins. Go to, let us make brick and burn them truly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name. I thought we're supposed to look at Jesus Christ, his name. No, me, let us make a name. Let us be, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. But God wasn't pleased with that. So what if you had all the people? You know what you'd be doing? You know what your problem is? Your problem then is that you will be relying on people for how you live your life. So you can only serve God better if you had a better upbringing with parents. So you can only serve God better if you only had a really good pastor always taking care of you. So you can only serve God better if you had brethren around you 24-7 to support you. So you can only serve God better if you always had a 24-7 revival, summer camp, blowout church service, so that you can have the, that peer support. So you can only serve God better if you finally had a partner in your life to share with. So you can only serve God better if there are Bible-believing families around you. So you can only serve God better if you only had more pastors around you. You realize that mentality? You only serve God better because of so-and-so who is a man, who is a woman, who is a human. So you only serve God better because of people then, huh? 
See, who are you dependent upon? People, not God. And watch out. Tell me if I'm wrong. What happens then that when you fall into sin and you're like, okay, so I'm going to go to this church that is, I know it's an apostate church, but for crying out loud, uh, my wife needs companionship. I need companionship. My children, they need friends. And the, so uh, I, I need more people. So let's go to this apostate church over there. So you can only serve God better when you have people around you. Yes. Okay, then what happens when you go to that apostate church? Then you sing like them. You talk like them. You have the same desire that's watered down on the Bible like them. You know why? You were dependent on people, not on Jesus Christ. Maybe Jesus Christ wanted to isolate you from people, take away people from your life, so it's just you and him. Maybe he had people, be, uh, he had your friends betray you, turn against you, so that you can isolate yourself from people, so it's just you and him. Maybe he had your family betray you, turn against you, your own wife, your own children, your brother, your sister, your father, your mother, turn against you so that God can isolate you from them and it's just you and him so that you can finally learn what it's like to lean upon the everlasting arms of God and not on human people. Maybe that's why the Lord, he wanted, uh, he isolated you from the pastor more and more because he wanted to just be, hey, me and you, not, hey, pastor, help me out. Hey, pastor, if only you're here, then I can get victory. If only I'm around you, then I can grow more spiritually. No, then you're dependent upon Gene Kim, and then God might drop me dead one day, and let's see if this church will continue. See, dependent upon people. You know what I will do if everyone leaves? You know what I'm going to do if my pastor dies out? I'll tell you what I'll do. Sing hymns, preach on the streets, knock on doors, pass out tracts, read my book, pray on my knees, and just have my own worship service with God. So you got to realize this, is that no matter what, you got to realize that there is no excuse. People is not an excuse where you can serve God better. That is never the case. Some of you might say, well, you know, if God was only more understanding of my situation and realize that, God, I could use a little blessing here and there. You know, God, it's so hard serving you faithfully without you rewarding me, without you answering my prayer. Sometimes we want that, right? We want an answered prayer in our lives when we've been praying for years. And then because there's nothing going on, maybe that's why we slow down and backslid in our prayer life a bit. Maybe the reason why that it's so hard that you slow down and you quit street preaching, you quit knocking on doors, passing out tracts, witnessing to people, is because you did not see a soul saved for a long time. So you want God to bless you with fruit. Pastors, they quit and close down churches. Why? It's so hard to keep pastoring a church because no one will come. Members keep turning against the pastor. And because of that, God does not send in fruit to that pastor's ministry. And that pastor's like, God, if you would just keep sending the people, I would not have quit the ministry. I would not have closed the church. Perhaps if the Lord just blessed you more physically with riches, some of you are young people, and you young people say, well, if God met my desire right here in my youth age with some kind of, I mean, it's not a sinful thing, but some kind of, a physical or worldly blessing that I can enjoy, which is not a sin. If the Lord gave that to me more in my life, then I can serve him more faithfully. That's why it's so hard for me to have the right dressing, to have the right music, 
to abstain something that I should not be watching. It's so hard to stay away from the wrong crowd because all my friends, all my peers are having a good time. They're dating, uh, they might be dating a worldly lost person, but me, I've got nobody to date. And that's the reason why I have no choice but to fall into that. I know that church is not a Bible believing church, but for crying out loud, that Christian church is better for me as a young person rather than a lost worldly person. So I'm sure God will understand me as a young, uh, a young man, a young woman, a teenager that I go to that apostate church. I mean, they're Christians, right? They're Christians. I mean, they all read the NIV and they say James White is their idol and their God and that they're speaking Greek and Hebrew and they're teaching weird stuff on Calvinism. But hey, who cares about that? We all love Jesus Christ, right? So, I mean, if God really blessed me with the church, with people who love me, if he blessed me and promised me that kind of church, I would not have left San Jose Bible Baptist Church because of some somebody was mean in here. They were too hard and direct. And that Christian church might be apostate, but they were more loving. So I'm going to go to that church. So you think you can serve God better than in a Bible-believing church if we were more loving, if God promised you more love, if God promised you more physical riches, more worldly possessions, if God promised you with fruit that you can finally experience in your life. So that will motivate you to keep praying, to keep pastoring the church if he finally promised you and blessed you with fruits. Hmm. Look at the book of Genesis, please. The book of Genesis. Look at chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Let us cover the age of promise now. Promise. The Abrahamic covenant, his dispensation. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord has said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Jesus Christ told you, separate from that wicked stuff. Separate from the world. And then what did he promise you at verse 2? And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Okay, God, I'll separate from all those wicked things, the world and all that, if you will bless me with this. Sure, I'll do that. But then, okay, look what happens now at verse 10. So Abraham should serve God faithfully, right? I mean, he's going to get that blessing. He was promised. Verse 10, and there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. What? He went to the world. Egypt is a representation of the world. And Abram went back to the world. You know why many of you Christians fall back into the world? Even if God promised you his blessing, you'll still return to the world. Oh, if God only promised me this and this and this. Yeah, he did with Abraham. Guess what? With Abraham, went back, still went back to the world. If God promised you with blessing and fruit, you will still keep messing up. You're still going to sin. You're still going to slow down your Bible reading and prayer life. You doubt me? Let's prove it right now. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, how many of you had an answered prayer in your life? How many of you finally were, was blessed by something from God? That he only gave to you, but he didn't give to anyone else. All right. Can you think of them? Please be honest. Did God answer your prayer on something? Blessed you with something? If he did, I would like to ask you this question. 
Did you serve God as faithfully as you should now? Maybe you got even, did your spiritual life get worse now maybe? Because God spoiled you? Is your spiritual life still slow and the same after God blessed you? After God answered your prayer? See, it doesn't matter if God gave you his promise, promised you his blessing, promised you his fruit, and gave you his promise to help you. You'll still mess up. It's not fair, God, if you would bless me with a family who loved me, a person in my life, if you bless me with physical riches, worldly possessions, if you bless me as much as a lost person out there, if you bless me more than that lost person out there, guess what? He blessed you more than that lost person out there, you'll be more spoiled, more rotten than that lost person, perhaps. It's not fair to serve God. No, if he gave you his promise, you'd still mess up. Guess what? It's not Abraham, just Abraham. All the other generations went down after him. It got worse and worse and worse like that. When Abraham, then when Isaac, then when it went to Jacob, oh, it went down. And then when it came to Jacob's sons, they were like totally messed up, worse than Jacob. See? Doesn't matter at the age of promise. You might say, well, you know, the reason why it's very difficult for me to serve God is because I'm not under a day and age where they do things strictly. You know, I'll be honest, God, is that I know you said that you will judge me if I fall into this sin, but that judgment didn't happen yet. If I actually committed that sin, Lord, and then you just sent lightning from heaven immediately, then I would not have sinned. Lord, um, if you show, if you revealed to me and showed to me the scariness of touching that sinful object, and maybe you put an electric wire around it, electric fence around it, then I would have fallen into that. Lord, America is too free with wickedness around everywhere. If I was at a government at a day and age where they actually made rules on what time I should wake up in the morning and that I've got to read my Bible, I would be fined if I didn't do this and that they would drag me to church. If I lived in that, then I would do that more easily, Lord. But in this American consumer culture, it's so free that my flesh is just going by whatever it wants to do in its clock. So God, if you uh, set up rules, then it would be better. Lord, if uh, Pastor Kim kept following up and phone calling me all the time, then I would come to church more often. Lord, if Pastor Kim set up more rules over here, then it would be more clear and specific. And then if he was more mean, if he was more scary, then yeah, I would be able to follow the rules more successfully, serve you more appropriately, Lord. Lord, because there is no specific rules, no strictness, nothing to put the fear of God in me, that's why I mess up in sin. That's why I keep falling back into the world. That's the reason why during trial and affliction and suffering, it's so hard to serve you, Lord, because you're not strict enough. You don't have rules that would motivate me, that would make me, that would force me to serve you. I, I, I am a little bit covetous and jealous of a, a Calvinist God. I wish there was a Calvinist God a little bit who kind of put the rules that would force me to do it. Let us look at the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Let us cover the age of the law, the age of the law. By the way, that was the longest dispensation you, you'll see, perhaps. It's one of the longest dispensations you'll see. Look at the book of Exodus chapter 20. And then I want you to also turn to the book of Exodus chapter 30, 
let's see right here. We're going to look at 32, please. Exodus chapter 32 and Exodus chapter 20. The famous Ten Commandments at Exodus chapter 20. Let us read verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. First commandment. Verse 4, the second commandment. Look at verse 7, the third commandment. Verse 8, fourth commandment. Notice in verse 12, it goes on all the way down to verse 17, to the tenth commandment, covetousness. And then if you read from chapter 20 all the way to 32, he gives all the rules all the specifics. I mean, he puts the fear in them that if you commit this sin, you are stoned to death. Oh God, it's so hard to stop cussing. I mean, if there was something strict, a scary rule, then it would prevent me more. Well, they did that at the Old Testament. You took God's name in vain, you were stoned to death. So some of you who just got fresh out of salvation, you better, you're like, man, I would have died so many times, right? It's so hard. How can I keep track of myself to clean up my language? How can I keep track of myself if there is no specific, strict rules, laws, and punishment that would make me serve God? Some of you people say, I wish I had parents who would discipline me, punish me, instead of parents who spoil me, parents who raised me up in the world in wickedness. That's the reason why I grew up to be a sinner. Oh, I wish I had mom and dad who raised me right. Really? So you think that all these strict rules would be good enough and that you would come out better, that you would serve God better? Look at Exodus chapter 32. Despite of God giving the law, notice what they did. Look at verse 4. God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Isn't that what he said? And all of Israel heard that. Look at verse 4. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with the graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So even if God stones you to death, then you would serve God better. Really? If God put all these strict rules and uh, punishment and people in your life that would force you to serve him, you'd serve God better? One of the longest dispensations is this age of the law, the Mosaic Covenant. And guess what? They keep messing up. They mess up. I mean, there's no fear of God in their eyes. Like, you'll be stoned to death for doing that. Ah, oh, who cares, you know? Didn't work. It's not fair, I know, that you're living at a day and age where everything is free. And you think you can serve God better if there were more rules in your life, if there were some people who forced you, put the fear of God in you, put strict punishments. I mean, if I made a, if I made a rule, and it has to be law, it has to be law, that your hand will be cut off if you don't read three chapters of your Bible tomorrow, everyone will start doing it, you know? And then a lot of people will get mad at the beginning, but some of you will thank me. Man, I, I, I read through the Bible finally. Thank you, Pastor, you know? At the end, you would be saying that. But see, the thing is, is that we're not living at that day and age. And even if you did, you'd still, you'd still sin against God. Still slip up somewhere. You might say, well, you know, if, if God, you know, understood my situation, my dilemma, and would make certain exceptions in my life, 
I know that God, he has to maintain the law and he has to be strict. But if he just gives me this particular exception in my situation, then I can serve him better. I'm not asking God to answer all of my prayers to motivate me to serve him, but just this prayer, this prayer exception, if you would answer it, Lord, then I can serve you better. Lord, I know that uh, if you gave me all the world and all the friends in my life, that would not motivate me to serve you better. But if you just make this one exception of this one friend in my life, this particular family member in my life, it would help me to serve you better. I know that uh, Pastor Kim, he's a man and uh, he makes mistakes and he can't do it well. But Lord, if you just make him just do this part well, if he didn't say this offensive thing to me, if only you just improve his mood and his character a little bit, just do this exception, then it would help me to keep coming to church and serving you better. I left the church because of that thing, you know. I'm not asking that church to be perfect, but just that one thing, if, if there was that exception on that one thing that they would fix, then I would not have left the church. Let's look at the book of Second Samuel, please. Second Samuel. Let us cover the, the Davidic covenant right here. The Davidic covenant. And we're going to cover Second Samuel chapter 12, please. Second Samuel chapter 12. Let's cover David's everlasting covenant. There was a person who was an exception to the law that God gave. He did give an exception. It was King David. He was the person when he committed murder and adultery that the Lord gave an exception and did not uh, and made sure that he did not die. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. Look at verse 12. For thou didst it secretly. See, David committed adultery and murder. But I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then God said, well, according to the law, you should die. No, look at, keep reading verse 13. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. You know, King Saul, God gave up his kingdom. But God made an exception to David despite of his sin. So David should serve God better, right? He should serve God better. Mm, look at the last chapter in 2 Samuel, please. Go to the last chapter in 2 Samuel. Man, Lord, you made an exception for me after committing adultery and murder. So this time I'll make sure I'll serve you better. Thank you, Lord, that you did not send your judgment upon me, that you made an exception. I know that uh, I was almost caught with this sin and I should have died. I should have been punished. I should have been reprimanded by the church. I, would, I should have been kicked out by the church. Thank you, Lord, that you made this exception. You made me escape the sinful consequence. I hope you're paying attention. Lord, because you made this exception, I'll serve you better. Lord God, I, I'm in trouble right here. I know I haven't served you as much as I should, and you should not answer my prayer, but God, I'm in a family problem. I'm in a bad situation here. If you would just, just this one exception, if you would just handle this problem for me, if you will give me this job that, I've been, that I want, if you'll just give me, uh, fix this family problem that I want, if you would not let me uh, be caught and judged and punished, jailed in prison for this sin, 
then Lord, I will serve you all my days, the rest of my life. I'll serve you well. Make this exception. God did it with David. Okay, after adultery and murder, you would think that he would serve God better. But look at 2 Samuel 24, verse 1. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Move David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Notice that the Bible says right here at verse 3, And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto the people how many soever they be in hundredfold, and that the eyes of my Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? And then you'll notice verse 10, And David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly. Guess what? Thousands of his people died because of that. Thousands. It wasn't from adultery and murder. It was his sin of pride in numbering the people. So you think that if God made an exception just this once in your life that you'd serve God better? Okay, I would like to ask you this question. Do you remember that time when you should have been in trouble? And then you probably made this statement to God, God, if you would take me out of this, I will come to church. I will uh, serve you better. I'll improve my Christian walk. Can you remember that time? All right, I would like to ask you this question now. Once God pulled you out of there and made an exception for you, did you serve him better now? Did your spiritual life improve now? Guess what? Oh, it's not fair, God. If you just make this exception, then I'd serve you better. No, if he made an exception, you'd expect more exceptions out of him, and you'd keep sinning. You might say, well, you know, if God was totally understanding of my situation here. Okay, I know that I've sinned. I know that I messed up. And I, uh, I got to serve him 100%. But let's be honest. I'm not 100% perfect. God, un God should understand what flesh feels like. Do you know what it's like to be born in a bad environment? You all get down on me and judge me for falling back into this drug addiction uh, but you don't know what, what kind of home I grew up in. My parents abused me, and then I was in a bad environment. I was with a bunch of gangs, and that's why I can't help but fall into drug addiction. That's why I can't help but fall into anger issues. I know that I'm a, bur uh, I'm a burden to the church, and that I, the way that I say things or the way that I act toward people, it may burden them and drive them more away, but they don't understand what kind of situation I came in. I have some health issues, some mental issues, I grew up in a bad home environment that didn't help me right with people, function right. Unless you understand the situation that I'm in, then I would have been a better person. I would have served God better. I mean, do you know what it's like? You don't know what it's like. Pastor, you don't know what it's like. You, ra you were raised in a Christian home. You don't know what it was like to be uh, under a worldly sinful lifestyle for 20 years, and then you expect me to change my dressing, to change my music, to uh, change the things I watch, stop playing the games that are wrong? You can't expect that out of me, Pastor. Why do you have to preach so hard? If Pastor was so mean in that preaching, he doesn't understand what I go through because uh, I'm a woman and he's a man, so he doesn't understand how women feel and what they're going through in their lives. Oh, Pastor doesn't understand what I'm going through because although I'm an addict, he never knew what it was like to taste even a drop of alcohol. So how is he supposed to know what it's, 
like fall into addiction. He's so hard about that preaching. I don't get it. If only you understood. So, if only God truly understood how you felt, then he would probably let a lot of things slide, right? Probably let it go. Yeah, I think God would. He would understand why I keep doing this, what you call worldly thing or sinful thing. I think he would let me do it if he understood what I was like, if he went to my situation. Look at the book of Matthew chapter 1. Let us come to the age of grace. Matthew chapter 1. For time's sake, we're not going to look at Hebrews 4, but you know what Hebrews chapter 4 said? Hebrews 4 said Jesus Christ was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. By the way, doesn't God already know everything in your life? So yeah, he understands. Didn't God taste what it was like to be a man? He knew what it was like to experience poverty. He had no, uh, he knew what it was like to, su to experience homelessness. He knew what it was like to be single. He knew what it was like to be mocked, criticized by his own people, by his own family. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, the book of the generation, generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, he came from a human line. Yes, he understands. God understands. And guess what? He, he knows the life that you're living in, what thought you thought of, what you're feeling inside your heart. And guess what? Sin is still sin. Guess what? Jesus came out clean. He conquered the sin, the addiction, the temptation, the trial, the suffering. Did you bleed yet? Did you bleed yet? Did you shed blood in your trial? No. So there is no excuse where you think that God has to understand and be more easy on you. Jesus Christ conquered death and hell, went through the cross. If he can do it, you can do it. Oh, if God only understands, no, this is my limit. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's so hard. Oh, I'm panicking and uh, God's got to understand my situation. This is too difficult. Oh, I can't breathe anymore. Oh, this is so hard. I'm going to commit suicide. Relax. You're being overdramatic. Wow. You know what your problem is? Your problem is, is that well, you know, this church is too hard. It's too hard. Serving Jesus Christ is too hard. No, in the age of grace, God has been gracious. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have to do any work ourselves, and Jesus paid it all. And in that age of grace, God's understanding where even if you sin in the future, you'll still go to heaven. Guess what? You still mess up. You still sin, and you're probably worse than the people at the previous dispensations. He's given you so much grace. And that's why lost people of different religions who think they have to do good works for heaven point their fingers at you Baptists and say, you Baptists think that you have a license to sin and still go to heaven. So you think if God was more understanding, more gracious, and you'd serve him better? No, you came out worse. How about that? Some of you might say, well, you know, if God really showed me how wicked and how evil, how evil that sin is, then I wouldn't touch that sin. If God showed me how evil the people I hung around with, then I wouldn't hang around them. The church is a Christian church. They love Jesus. Why would you criticize them? Pastor, 
unless I really see the evil in them, then I won't attend that church. You know, the, the atheists, those homosexuals, those liberals, I mean, nice people. They were the ones who let me cut them during traffic. Not this Baptist Christian who just keeps cutting in front of me with his car. So unless, I don't know why they're, I don't know why you criticize them. Unless I really see the evil in them, then I can become a Bible believer. Then I can agree like you. Then I can serve God better. If I truly saw the evil of skipping Bible reading, how much it pleased Satan and hell that they won a soul in hell just because I neglected to give that person a track, then I can serve God better. Let's look at the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Revelation 13. We come to the tribulation. And guess what? God reveals the true evil of Satan's world to all the world. And do they serve God? Look at Revelation 13, 4. Look at this. And they worship God once they saw the evil of the devil. They worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Did you read Revelation 16, verse 11? It says, and blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented repented, repented not of their deeds. So you think that if God really showed you the evil of your decision that you're making, then you wouldn't make that wrong decision and you serve God better? If God really showed you the evil, how wicked it is to listen to that music, how wicked and evil it is to think that thought, how wicked and evil it is that's going on with that apostate church, then you'd become a Bible believer. You'd separate from the world. You serve God better. You'd criticize the wicked world as much as the pastor would criticize them. If God really showed you the evil, no, even at the tribulation, all it took was a short span of years to expose all the evil and mankind still worships the devil, takes his mark, and they repented not of their evil deeds. You would think that, you know, it's just Adam and Eve's fault at the Garden of Eden. I wouldn't mess up. Oh, really? You wouldn't mess up? So if you were in Adam and Eve's shoes, you wouldn't mess up. You would serve God better. Yeah, I think so. So if I lived in a perfect world, if I had no sin in my body and etc., then I can serve God better. I don't know why God wouldn't do that. Look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20. Let us come to the millennium where everything is perfect. The Garden of Eden restored. And this is all the billions of people, which will number more than the people today now as they grow. Look what happened. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. Let's skip down to verse, uh, the second part of verse 4. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But look at verse, look at verse 9. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. 
Look at that. At verse 9, the people lived at, the billions of people who said, uh, and the atheist professors who all said, well, it was, at, I, it doesn't make sense. God punishes the whole world because of Adam and Eve's fault when it was not even my fault. And the millennium is utmost proof to the atheist professor and to you Christians that even if God made a perfect world, you'd still rebel. You'd still sin against God. It's not fair, God, if everything was perfect around me, if my body had no lust of sin, if I had everything perfect, then I'd serve you more faithfully. No, you'd still rebel against God. We come to the age of the millennium. You know, man, pastor, what a depressing sermon today. In every age, in every dispensation, you're saying that mankind messes up. You're absolutely right. You know one lesson you'll learn out of this sermon today? No matter what God does to to, to deal with you, to provide for you, you will still mess up. There is no excuse. Read your Bible, you pray, you go to church, you serve God, you go out soon, you pass out tracts, you avoid the sin. There is absolutely no excuse. No matter what day and age you live in and what God provides for you, you will still mess up. You know what the ultimate thing is? The ultimate thing is, let's, let's be honest, let's stop thinking a hundred different reasons and excuses. Just get down on the altar and say, okay, God, I'm the problem. I realize that. No matter what trial, what pain, what suffering, what unfairness I go through, and what, how big the temptation is, how strong the, the addiction is, and how hard the people are turning against me, I will still serve you and follow you. As Jesus Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. Every head bow and every eye shut. I will allow a few minutes to pray if you want to come down on the altar and pray. You can pray in your seats or you can come here on the altar's floor and pray to the Lord. However way the Lord leads upon your heart. There is no excuse. I know it's, look, I'm not, I'm human like you, obviously. It's hard. It's hard. The life you're going through, the temptations and what you're giving up, what you're sacrificing. It's very hard, but look, even if God met up everything that you wanted from him, it's not going to change the fact you will still sin. You will still backslide. You will still fail and fall behind in your service. The point is, the point is, no matter what, I serve God. No excuse. Okay, boo-hoo, I have a tragedy in my home. Boo-hoo, I have a tragedy in my health. Boo-hoo, this bad thing happened. No excuse. Serve God. Boo-hoo, I don't have as much riches compared to this unbeliever. Boo-hoo, I don't have a better family compared to this unbeliever. Boo-hoo, I'm going through pain and with my friends, and they have friends and I don't. If God would give them to me, make things better for me, make life easier for me, I'd serve him better. No, you'd still sin. You'd still backslide. Your service to God will still be cold and slow. In every dispensation and every age that God has done to try to make man to serve him, it is so amazing mankind still rebels against God. Mankind still disobeys God. Mankind still hates. They hate God. It's amazing. It's sad. It is time that we stop making excuses and just say, Lord, no matter what, I will serve you. Lord, Enough's enough. I'm going to stop the whining, the crying, the excuses. 
all the good reasons. I'm just going to come and serve you. That's it. The worst thing you will do after this preaching is over is that you still demand expectations and understanding from God. And if God met your demands, you know what, you know what you're going to feel after that? You're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel emptiness. You're going to feel more rotten because you're going to be so weak in the flesh and you'll still fall back into that sin. You'll still slow down in your service to God. You still won't improve your Christian walk. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because I experienced it. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to pray on your knees and weep and say, God, it's so hard to keep pastoring the church, to keep serving the ministry. So if you would just, if you would just do this thing for me, it'd motivate me to serve you more. And guess what? Even if he did met that demand, I still mess up because I'm human. It's time we understand our human weakness and that realize those things cannot be excuses and things holding us down to serve him. Break the chains of your excuses. Break the chains of your human weaknesses. Break the chains of those demonic thoughts that are trying to justify the way you're living now. Break those chains. Be free from that and just say, no, nothing will hold me back. Let's go, Lord, me and you. Heavenly Father, I pray that today's preaching has touched and changed people's lives as we cover the, all the ages and dispensations in our Bible. It's amazing how mankind cannot learn their lessons. And I pray that today's preaching has taught us just that, to get things right with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.